It is good to see you here this morning. I want to invite you to go ahead and grab your Bibles. Let's turn together to the Old Testament book of Ruth. That is book number eight in the Old Testament. Start with Genesis and go eight books in. It's nestled in between Judges and 1 Samuel. As you're finding your place in Ruth, let me just say amen to what Stacy uh, shared with us about our IMB Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, Southern Baptists, we're able to partner with all other Southern Baptist churches and, and giving our dollars in order to send the gospel literally to the ends of the earth. And so to date, we have about 3,526 missionaries that are our Southern Baptist missionaries on international turf. And so they are sharing the good news of the gospel. They rely upon the prayers of God's people. And because of the generosity of Southern Baptists, we're able to keep sending and keep missionaries on the field sharing the wonderful news of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and so uh, Lottie Moon is just one of our trailblazing missionaries in years gone by, and she left a mark. And that mark was sacrificial selfless living in order for the gospel to go forward and the least that we can do is to continue to selfishly and sacrificially pray and give. I shared with East Venue last week that one thing that Dawn and I like to try to make a priority is that the highest dollar amount gift that we give every year at Christmas time will be to Lottie Moon to advance the gospel. Not asking you to meet that challenge. I'm just saying that's what God put on our hearts. And it's a joy to be able to say that, that we give a gospel gift each year to see that message keep going forward. Pray about that. Pray for our missionaries uh, and, and pray about the gift that God would have you give. Also, want to invite you to plan now to be a part of our January Sundays. We have five. And um, the, as we begin the year, I'm really excited about the, the sermon series that God put on our heart that rolls out the vision for 2023 and the priority. And it ought to be our priority every day. It's simple. It's the gospel above all. But in this series, I really believe it has the potential to lead you as a child of God to experience greater joy than ever before. And that joy will be rooted and grounded in the good news message of the gospel. I really believe that if we as a church embrace the challenge of the gospel above all and living that out in our families and in our community, that it's going to change the DNA of a Liberty Baptist Church. In fact, I'm praying and believing that the greatest gospel movement in our 177 years will be evident in 2023. That's a bold statement. I'm not really a prophet. I don't have a crystal ball, but this I know. If we're obedient to the gospel mission that God's called us to be obedient to and we give our life for the sake of the gospel, greater things are going to happen. And our community will never be the same. And that's my prayer for you and for me and for Liberty Baptist. Now today we're jumping back into the book of Ruth. Hopefully you found your place. Go to chapter 3. As we're in chapter 3, we're going to be mindful of, of the main characters of Naomi who is Ruth's mother-in-law, and we're going to be reintroduced to that kinsman redeemer, Boaz. But before we read chapter 3, I want to just kind of go back and remember what we learned last week and glean from chapters 1 and 2. And in chapter 1, and in a measure of about five verses, there was unmeasurable suffering, unimaginable suffering that was itemized in the life of Naomi. 
In fact, uh, Elimelech, her husband, they were in Bethlehem, the house of bread, and because of famine, there was no bread in the house of bread. He chose to take his family, go about 50, 55 miles away to Moab where there was more food. And so not long after they got there, Elimelech died, leaving Naomi a widow. She still had her two sons, uh, Malone or Malin, if you're from South Alabama, and Killian, and, and she still had them. And in a measure of 10 years, the two sons took wives of the land of Moab, Moabites. One was Orpah, and the other one was Ruth. And as they uh, began in their married life, uh, we know at least Ruth and Malone did not have children. And then the day came, there was a devastating day again for Naomi to where both of her sons died. And so we had three widowed women in Moab. Naomi, who was a stranger in a strange land, was not her homeland. And then we had Ruth and Orpah that were both there. Out of uh, the love of her heart, Naomi uh, was, was sensing the need for Malone and Ruth to stay in Moab, but she felt compelled to go back to Bethlehem. One thing that compelled her to go back is there was now bread, food in Bethlehem. And so, really, she was devastated. She was in that, that place of suffering that we can identify with sometimes, that her life had just been dumped upside down. And there's really no rhyme or reason as to why that happened. Uh, Naomi just felt in this, this part of her life that God was silent. God had forgotten about her. Maybe God was against her and was bringing judgment upon her, and really, she was just disheartened. She was older, she was a widow, she was devastated. I just want to go back to my home and God just leave me alone, let me die. And that's kind of the attitude that we sense from her. And she compelled Orpah and Ruth to stay in Moab. They were younger, you can have a life here, you can get married again, you can find security and protection in another husband. Here is your best chance in Moab. Orpah took her up on it, she stayed in Moab, Ruth gave those uh, familiar words in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, when she said, no, I am going to stay with you. And we related that unyielding love of Ruth. Familiar words, entreat me not to leave you or come back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, important, my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Unyielding love. So Ruth is leaving her homeland, Moab, and she becomes the stranger in the strange land. And so as an outsider, particularly as a Moabite, she is taking a big risk of being accepted or provided for. And the only thing that is carrying her to Bethlehem is her love for Naomi and her love for Naomi's God. And so we find them in Bethlehem chapter 2. Ruth said, I'm going to go out and try to find some food for us. It was during the barley harvest, not an accident, divine appointment. And then Ruth went out and began to glean or pick up leftovers from the harvesters which was allowed and provided for. It just so happened to be that the field that she was picking up the leftovers was from a man named Boaz. Boaz was a relative of Elimelech, and the, the husband of Naomi that had died. And then when Ruth found favor 
in the harvest time, and Boaz sent an ephah of barley back with her, uh, then we see something start to happen in the attitude of Naomi. No longer is she really, God's totally against me. There's a glimmer of hope in her eyes as she begins to say, Hey, Boaz showed favor. He's a relative. And just perhaps, Ruth, you can find a husband and we can find a redeemer that will provide security for us in the days ahead. And that brings us to where we are. Ruth has come back to Naomi. She has some barley that is a good faith promise that you can come again and glean. And Naomi's heartbeat is beginning to change. Now, Ruth chapter 3. Do you have it? It's 18 verses. I'm going to read, Lord willing, those 18 verses and invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word if you're able to stand. It's okay if you can't. Look at verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not a relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself and put best, your best garment on and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in, uncover his feet and lie down and he will let you know what you should do. And she, Ruth, said to her, Naomi, all that you say to me, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. After Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went down to lie at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled, and he turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, rather poor, uh, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman." Now, it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that, it will, uh, that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down till morning. So she lay down at his feet, until morning. And then she arose before anyone could recognize another. And then he said, Do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Also, he said, Bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured out six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to her mother in law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave me. For he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. 
for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter of this day. God is in the waiting. And Naomi just told Ruth, done all we can do, sit still and see what happens. Let's pray. Father, give us ears to hear truth of your word. Give us understanding. Give us application of how we can trust you as we're reminded this world is not our forever home. We too are strangers in a strange land and we need a redeemer. So Father, help us to understand, help us to walk in faith as we go in just a few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Couldn't help but think of Corey Tim Boone's famous phrase when I was reading the narrative of Ruth. Corey said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And, and we see that trust begin to take shape again in the life of Naomi because ever since Boaz has come into the picture in the last two chapters, Naomi's faith is taking a turn. There's a glimmer of hope that is in her eyes. Her concern is no longer about her own circumstances and her own grief and just let me alone and let me die. Now she's thinking about this precious daughter-in-law that chose not to leave her but to go with her and showed a loyal, steadfast love to her, and she comes up with the plan. Uh, when these two widows came into Bethlehem, their plan was basically this, that Ruth was younger and she would do whatever it would took, uh, take to help take care of Naomi and then both of them would just kind of get along. But then God began to open Naomi's eyes and cause her to remember a plan that just might work for their future and for their security. So number one, if you have the printed notes or if you're pulling it up on the LBC app, this is number one, Naomi's bold plan for a future. And it's good news that she begins to think about the future. Because this we know, when we're in a mindset that God's against me, when we're in a mindset God's forgot about me, when we're in a mindset that maybe God's mad at me, we're discouraged, maybe even get depressed. And in that state of discouragement and depression, here's what is true for us, and it was true for Naomi. We're not thinking about the future much. We're just thinking about survival. Going back to Bethlehem, God just let me alone. Let me die. For whatever number of days I have left, just let me go. We've been there, some of us. But that glimmer of hope has come back to Naomi when Boaz comes into the picture and she calls out to Ruth and, and she calls her, My daughter, and mother-in-law said to her in verse 1, My daughter, shall I not seek security or rest for you? In other words, there's an opportunity that your future can be secure and we can experience a Redeemer to rescue us and, and we experience provisions of the Lord through His people. And so Naomi expressed concern for Ruth and then she gave her the counsel. And the counsel, the purpose, the plan was really clear. Ruth was to win, uh, win for Ruth a godly husband to secure their future and preserve the family line. And so the plan is risky. Ruth is an outsider. She's a Moabite. She's in Bethlehem surrounded by Jews. From the beginning, the deck is stacked against her. 
but she goes out gleaning as widows and poor folks did in that time and picking up the leftovers in the field. The plan was to go and pick up the leftovers. And when that plan found favor with Boaz and he sent her back with a gift of barley, then Naomi said, hey, here is another plan. And we read the, the details of it. In verse 4, he said, And when you go, find him at the threshing floor, after he feasts, after he drinks, after he lies down and goes to sleep, then you go to his feet and uncover his feet. And basically you're saying, I am dependent upon you. That uncovering the feet, I'm dependent upon you. She did that while he was asleep. Something woke him up around midnight, not sure what. Maybe it was cool outside like it is today. Maybe it was a cool breeze, but he was startled. And when he woke up, a woman was lying at his feet. And he says, who are you? And so we, we're in that context of this bold plan being fleshed out. And, and, and it is risky. I don't know what Naomi was thinking. Maybe she was just being compelled by God. But there was a risk that Boaz did not think kindly of a woman being at his feet at the threshing floor. Maybe a man of integrity, as he was known in his community, was thinking, what is this woman up to? He could have gotten angry and resisted and sent her off and the plan was busted. Or he could have misinterpreted her intent and been overcome with sexual temptation and thought she was just out for pleasure. And misread that. But maybe Naomi thought, hey, I know the integrity of my daughter-in-law. And I know the reputation of Boaz. And that's not in my mindset. And I just believe as our close to kin, he will have favor upon her. Which he did. Number two on your notes. Plan was risky. It was bold. It was nerve-wracking. But Ruth had a bold faith for security in the plan. Look at verse 5. She said, I'll do everything you said. I'm going to follow your instructions. That selfless, sacrificial love for her mother-in-law, putting her own reputation on the line. And so then we see Ruth's audacious uh, audacious proposal. Look at verse 9. When Boaz woke up and he said, Who in the world are you? This is where Ruth went beyond what Naomi said. In verse 4, Naomi said, He will tell you what to do next. Just do this. She didn't say, this is what you say when he wakes up. But Ruth made no doubt about who she was and why she was there. Verse 9, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. You are a close relative. And so Ruth is reminding Boaz that we are close of kin. I am a widow. I have a mother-in-law who is a widow. We need a redeemer. And we can find a kinsman redeemer in you because you are a near relative to us. And so Ruth has already, scriptures told us that she uh, was being sheltered under the wings of the Lord God Almighty. She put her trust in him. And as she trusts in God, now she's asking Boaz to be her redeemer. Ruth wanted him to marry her and provide refuge for her and Naomi just as the kinsman redeemer would do. And so, very thankful that when Boaz heard who she was, why she was there, he responded very favorably. And he says, no problem, I will do what you have asked me to do. So, number three on your notes, Boaz's bold promise for redemption. 
Keep in mind that when Ruth said in verse 9, that in verse 9 of, of chapter 3, I was in chapter 4, that's why it didn't make sense. said, Who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing for your close relative. Don't miss what that really is. That is a marriage proposal. It's kind of weird in our day and time still for a woman to propose to a man, but not unheard of. It happens. In their day and time, it was unheard of. It was unprecedented. And really what Ruth is doing is making a proposal to Boaz. And it was countercultural. It was risky. And she was helpless and hopeless, had nothing to lose maybe in her mind, and so she made that bold proposal. Then Boaz responded in a bold promise for redemption, verses 10 through 13. Right out of the gate, we get the understanding. He did not misinterpret why she was there. Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning. What in the world is he talking about? And these last days, more kindness. In other words, Ruth, you could have married any man, a younger guy who had material possessions that could secure your future, but you didn't. And that selfless love that you are sacrificing what you're entitled to as a young widow in order to take care of Naomi, your mother-in-law, is admirable. It is remarkable. And so what we see happening is Ruth dying to self with a greater love for Naomi in order to marry Boaz for him to be a redeemer of them both, of the land and of their lives. Does that make sense to you? And so she has proposed to him and he says, as the Lord lives in verse 13, here's his bold promise. I will. I'll do what, all the things that you've asked of me. But there's a problem or an opportunity. Here it was. There's one guy that I know of that's a closer relative than me. And that brings us to chapter 4. He told Ruth, just lie down right here, stay the night. In the morning, you go back. And in the morning, he gave her six ephahs of barley, which was a great big gift, and sent back to Naomi, her mother-in-law. And that was an indicator. Hey, Boaz has said he would redeem. But there's one redeemer that's a closer kin than we are, and he has to consult with him first. And that's where Naomi told Ruth, sit still and let's see what happens. Sit still and let's see. Let me ask you, how many of you are in that waiting time with God right now? You've done all you know to do. You've been obedient. You're praying for God to answer. And now he just says, sit still to the right time. Hear the testimony of Ruth, of Naomi. God is in the waiting. And as God is in the waiting, we see things uh, flesh out in chapter 4. And uh, we see the plan unfold. Boaz goes to the city gate. He calls witnesses, gets them there. And it just so happened, or maybe not, maybe a divine appointment, the closer relative came walking by. He grabbed him, he brought him in. He says, we have an opportunity to redeem a family of two widows. 
In fact, Elimelech has died, and he has property. Maybe it was still under mortgage. Maybe they had sold it. But the opportunity of that close kin was to redeem the property. Initially, this Mr. So-and-so that we don't know his name, the closer relative, he says, sure, I'll redeem the property. And then Boaz says, oh, by the way, with the property comes a woman that you'll have to marry, and you redeem her along with her mother-in-law. He said, time out. Can't do that. I don't think it was because he had anything against Ruth, but he says, my own inheritance is going to be jeopardized if I do that. So he declined. And in that, they, they had witnesses at the city gate. That's where the business was taking place. And, and, and Boaz looked at the witness and said, you've just heard him decline to be the redeemer, right? And so they notarized the decision. And they notarized decisions in that day by taking a sandal off and doing a sandal swap. And so he gave the sandal to him in front of the witnesses, which meant now Boaz is the official kinsman redeemer who is able to redeem if he wants to, if he's willing to do it. And so the business transaction happened, and we see chapter 4 as it plays out that Boaz took courage in a bold faith move to take on Ruth and redeem not only the property, not only the family name, but to rescue Ruth and Naomi for a secure future. And I want to go to uh, number four on your notes, verses 13 through 22 in chapter four. Note God's bold provision for a son. God's bold provision for a son. Provision, first of all, of the kinsman redeemer through Boaz. The Hebrew term goel for kinsman redeemer designates one who delivers or rescues. Sound familiar? Let's think about it through the New Testament terms and our Savior Jesus. He is one who redeems property or the person. And so one who rescues or delivers. Keep in mind the bigger picture of Scripture. Everything that we're reading that's happening through Boaz for Ruth and Naomi is painting the picture of our kinsman redeemer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it was a historical event that happened with Boaz and with Ruth and with Naomi, but it's an historical event in which God is pointing forward that there is a son who is coming. He will be the Christ, the Messiah, and he will come through the family line that is about to be eliminated if there is no kinsman redeemer through Elimelech's line. And so when Boaz redeemed Ruth and made her his wife, then God gave them a son whose name was Obed, which means servant. Obed in time had a son, and at the end of chapter 4, you see the genealogy. Obed's son was Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. And the Messiah is prophesied as coming through the lineage of David. God is at work in a bigger picture no matter what we see with our eyes, what we can wrap around with our minds, or what our emotions are telling us at the time. God is at work for the greater good of his children and for his greatest glory. In this scene of this Old Testament story, God's at work for the redemption of mankind that includes you and me. It's not an accident that Ruth was a Gentile. Because that is painting a picture of the inclusion of others other than just Jews of being in the covenant relationship, covenant family. 
And it's not an accident that they needed a kinsman redeemer that Ruth nor Naomi could save themselves. They needed a redeemer. And so you and I understand what it means to be strangers in a strange land. This is not our forever home. And just like Ruth nor Naomi could redeem themselves, neither can you and I redeem ourselves. We are sinners, we are bankrupt, and we are helpless to save ourselves. But God sent a redeemer whose name is Jesus. And that's the Christmas story, right? A virgin conceived and gave birth and had a son and called his name Jesus, which is Emmanuel, God with us. And so what we celebrate in this Christmas season is the story of the birth physically of our Redeemer here on earth that was fully God and fully man and one person, and Jesus came and identified with us. Here's a mark of a Redeemer for a kinsman Redeemer. Not everybody or not anybody could have been the kinsman Redeemer. Had to be close kin, a close-in relative. Jesus became close kin to us when God became flesh and the baby was born and he lived for 33 years or so here on the face of this earth, tempted in every way as we are, humanly speaking, but yet he was set apart in that he never sinned. Close kin. A mark of redeemer is not only being close kin, but being willing to redeem. And so the first closer kin was unwilling to redeem because it would jeopardize his inheritance. But Boaz says, I am willing to take the risk and assume the responsibility and be their kinsman redeemer. Hey, church, we have a kinsman redeemer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he went to the cross, though he was innocent of any sinful thought or behavior, he took our place, laid down his life, shed his blood, took on the responsibility, taking on the wrath of God to pay in full the penalty of our sin. He was buried and he rose again. And so we marveled that God loved us so much that he sent his son who became our kinsman redeemer. Now, it's not automatic. We have to respond in repentance and in faith. But we do have a redeemer. Not only is he willing, he is able, he is sufficient. Boaz had to have the means to redeem, and he did, and he was willing to sacrifice that. The Lord Jesus Christ had the means to redeem you and me. There was no other sacrifice that could be made outside of a perfect sacrifice. He's the one and only. There is no other one. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And so because he was the perfect sacrifice, he willingly laid down his life and sufficiently paid in full our sin debt so that we could be declared the very children of God when we turn from our sin, put our trust in Christ, and then we too have a Redeemer who has rescued us. You see, the story of Boaz and Ruth is more than just a pretty neat love story that happened historically. It is a story of God working behind the scenes to prepare everything for the coming Christ, the Messiah, who would be born of the Virgin Mary. And we celebrate on Christmas Day his birth. And so as we, as we remember the theme of our sermon series, God with us, faith in a foreign land, never, never doubt that God is with you. That's one thing I want to leave with you. God is with us. He gave his son who is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is God with us. Now, some life circumstances push us to a place that we think God is not with us. It's dark. 
It's hurtful. It's hard. He's silent. And we're saying, God, where are you? Remember one thing through the sermon series, because he is our redeemer and because he is who he is, we can by faith embrace the truth, God is with us. Wherever you are this morning in life circumstances, God is with you. We know that by faith, not by what we see in front of us all the time, not by what our minds can wrap around and understand all the time, and certainly not what our emotions that will lie to us many times will say to us. By the way, emotions are a response to what we think. And so we have to lock in our thoughts in truth in order to respond in truth and wrap around that. And so be careful about being, being led and driven by emotions. That's the mistake Naomi made, right? She allowed circumstances to interpret her viewpoint of who God was. And we need to lock on to the truth of Scripture and know who God is and allow that truth to interpret our circumstance. And one of those truths is God's with us. Second truth that we learn in this series is that God is able. He is able, is He not? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When Meshach, uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, were forced to either bow down and worship or be cast into the fiery furnace, they had, were bold in their faith, and they say, do what you have to do. Uh, our God is able to deliver us. And here's something important. He didn't deliver them from the furnace. He delivered them in the furnace. Yet they were not harmed. God is able. Daniel, he refused to bow down in that 30 days and worship a king. Daniel was not saved from the lion's den. He was saved in the midst of the lion's den. Sometimes God does his greatest work in the midst of the circumstances that we're facing. Sometimes our fears are far greater than the reality, and, and we need to understand that. But God is able, even in the hard times, even in the scary times, the fear-filled times, the anxiety times, he is able to deliver. And sometimes, in the case of Naomi, when life has just fallen apart, and you feel like God is against you, and you don't hear him, you don't feel his presence, we need to understand not only is he with us, not only is he able and willing, but he is worthy to be trusted. That glimmer of hope came back when that near relative named Boaz became a kins kinsman redeemer for her. Whatever life circumstances are that we're wading through this morning, know that God is with us, know that he is able, and know that he is willing. He is worthy to be trusted. And so I want to encourage you that if you have embraced faith in our kinsman redeemer, and you know your future is secure in Christ, then walk in faith, knowing he's with you, believing he is able, understanding he is willing. We celebrate the Christmas narrative this time of year. If we ever doubt the love of God, just go to the Christmas narrative and remember, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If we ever doubt the extent of God's love. Go to the cross. 
And see an innocent man take your place and mine and shed his blood and give his life should never doubt the, the amount, immeasurable amount of God's love for us. If we ever doubt his ability or that he is sufficient, just go to the empty tomb. And remember that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power that work in you and me. He is able and he is willing to deliver. Walk in faith in a foreign land. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We ask for help in this time of reflection. Father, that we will see through a historical narrative that you're always at work, even when we don't see you, even when we don't feel you, even when we don't hear you. But you know our address. You never lose sight of us. Your word promises that for your children, you are always working for our good, whether we understand it or not, and for your glory. So, Father, for many of your children, they may be right where Naomi has been, where Ruth is stepping out with bold faith of trusting, believing in spite of circumstances, in spite of what our emotions are saying but they're trusting you and taking you at your words. Father, would you give them peace? Will you give them courage and boldness of faith? There's some that may be questioning a Savior, wondering if there's more to life than what they know. Father, draw them to yourself. May they understand Jesus is our Redeemer. May they understand that if they would just confess their sin and, Father, surrender their brokenness to you and their self-effort to you and put their trust in who Jesus is and what he's already done, they can be rescued and their future can be secure and they can experience the themes that we celebrate this time of year like peace and love and joy because they're in Christ. So, Father, guide us give application, give understanding as these truths relate to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us online today. If you have any questions about today's sermon, or if you're ready to take a next step, whether that be giving your life to Christ for the first time, baptism, joining a life group, or serving somewhere in the church, you can text the word NEXT to 205-236-3717, and we'll reach out and connect with you. Speaking of next steps, we have our next steps classes starting up again on January 8th. If you are interested in those, you can go to the church website and sign up and register for those classes through the month of January. Over the next few weeks, we'll have a little bit of a different schedule as we enter the Christmas season. Um, So just want to keep you up to date on what's happening. On Christmas Eve, we'll have one one service time at 4 o'clock for a Christmas Eve service. Both venues will be open, the East Venue and the Worship Center. On Christmas Day, we'll um, only be on campus for one hour as well. Both Both venues will be open, the East Venue and the Worship Center. And we'll have child care for preschoolers two and under. On New Year's Day, we'll be back on campus both hours at 9.15 and 10.45. Normal venues open, and we'll have child care available for, the, for preschoolers four and under. Um, so if you have any questions, you can call the church office and ask, and we can, or you can visit the church website. We hope to see you this coming Sunday. Live it out.